0: Thank you. <laughs> now, um, who's had a rough week this week? Does anybody have a rough week this week? So I, as most of you know, I work in the construction industry, and, and we, uh, we started two bridges this week. And so that's very, stress because I'm the manager or whatever, it's very stressful because I'm responsible for what's making the bridges that all y'all lovely folks drive over every day. So, like, it's it takes a lot of out, out of you. It just drains you physically, making sure everything's right, especially at the beginning of projects, making sure everything goes well. Um, FYI, that's Pepe Kale and Alku districts, if y'all wanted to know. But... It just drains a lot out of you. And as kahoo has been gone, as most of you know, like I've taken on the responsibility of, of the main Kahoo here along with our staff team that's helped a lot. But I have a tendency to throw everything on my back and try to carry everything down, down the pathway by myself. And uh, I just, I was kind of burned out one day. I was like, man, I'm driving, driving home from work and I was just done. I was done with everything. And so I, I flipped through my CD case. Most of the time, I try to be useful of my time. I listen to a lot of podcasts, that or I'm listening to sports talk radio from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but I listened to, uh, I flipped through my CD case and I found an old CD and I just stuck it in. And it was actually one of my good friends growing up. He was in high school. So the CD's not like well-known and like you wouldn't know the, the artist or anything like that. But, but his lyrics Touched me at that moment. And it's, it's God that sometimes uses the small things in life to bring to remembrance important events in our life. So here's the lyrics, and it is a rap song. So I'm not going to rap, but I might get a little flowy here in a little bit, all right? So the first, the first line of the chorus says this. It feels like you're spitting into the breeze. Whoever feels like that? Who's ever tried that? Stick their head out of the car and try to spit as far as you can and it slaps you in the face. Maybe that's a southern thing that I grew up with. Like you got to be like the the hound dog in the, the car in front of you. But it feels like you're spitting into the breeze. What you're doing is not working. You're outside the door but ain't got the keys. Your knees hit the ground when no one is around. Longing for the sound of someone to intercede. Have you considered the love you're always leaving? Your roots are always up leaving. You're falling for dying trees. And so much of our lives is focused on attention-grabbing things. We like Instagram. We like Twitter because it grabs our attention and it doesn't need much, but it does take our attention away for a, a moment. Commercials are experts at drawing our attention away from whatever you're watching to say, oh, I need this. And then you're on Amazon later, That watching a football game on Amazon, like, ooh, I can get it cheaper here. But our, the world we live in is dying for our attention. And it's so easy to give our attention up to those things. It's so easy to say, yeah, this, this is important. My job is important. That concrete I'm going to produce for this bridge is important. Lives are at stake but that's not the main goal. That's not the main goal of our life. That's not the most important thing because we are longing for for someone to intercede for us. The song we just sang says, you have won the victory and you did it all for me. He interceded for us on the cross so we didn't have to carry that blame anymore, that we didn't have to carry that sin anymore, that we didn't have to live perfect anymore. We have a loving father. So as we, as we go into our text today, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. And the title of the message today is The Call of Christ. And as we go through this message, this is week 16 of our, Bible, our book study. We've been going through the book of Mark for 16 weeks because we are a verse-by-verse church. We believe we, we glean more from Scripture as we go verse-by-verse through it. So, if you could stand with me in the reading of God's word as we read Mark chapter 3. And this is what it says in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom would also be named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, who he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom the name was given, uh, to whom he gave the name Baronus, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. You may be seated. Lord, may you give us wisdom out of this book today. Out of this passage of scripture, may you open our hearts to hear what you have in store for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's two two things I want us to look at today. There's two key things I want us to look at today. And they're both roles that Jesus is talking about at this time. One of them is a disciple and one of them is apostle. So as we dive in, we first must understand what a disciple is and as followers of Jesus, well, a disciple is a follower. All right, so as followers of Jesus, we are disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a follower, one who trusts and believes in a teacher and follows that teacher's word and example. Therefore, to be a disciple is to be in a relationship. It is having an intimate, instructive, and imitative relationship with that teacher. So when we are called to follow Jesus, we become disciples of Jesus. So our relationship with Jesus must look one of intimacy, instructive, so Jesus teaches us through his word, and also imitative. So we should be growing more and more like Jesus as we walk with him. As we learn more from scripture, we should be growing more and more in the character of God. So my first point today is a call to intimacy. And when we are called to intimacy, so these were already disciples when when this story took place. So he was talking to disciples. He will get to the apostleship. So the call to intimacy, we see that in two different ways. The first off is easy, Christ. Verse 13, and then he, Christ, went up to the mountain and called those whom he desired and they came to him. There's a couple important facts. Like as we start to break down this text, this references the Old Testament. A lot, of, a lot of theologians put this back to Mount Sinai. And if you know what mounts, like the importance of Mount Sinai, Jesus' ascent to the mountain to call the twelve has the same significance of Moses' ascent of Mount Sinai to re- receive and transmit the Ten Commandments. Listen to this. This is our first biblical truth for the day. The same way God shows his people the law, he also demonstrates his grace. So when he created the law, he said, here, here's the law. You've got to obey perfectly that law. But then guess what happened? He had to create sacrifices because people couldn't obey the law perfectly. Nobody can obey the law perfectly except for Jesus. So in the same way, He gave the law that says, "No, you're not able to reach Me. You're not you're not able to climb the religious ladder to get to God." Is the same way Jesus calls the twelve and says, "I am the religious ladder. Just abide in Me, and I'll get you to God." So that is that is how He demonstrates His grace. But that's not the only way we see a reference to the Old Testament in this passage. We also see the beginning of covenants. And if you've ever studied Old Old Testament history, it it talks a lot about covenant of works, uh, the Abraham covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant, covenant of grace, the new covenant. Both of them are beginning of covenants. See, at the core, Jesus is, found, is starting the foundation of the new covenant. This is how the new covenant will be pressed out. And when Moses went up the mountain to Mount Sinai, he, started, he created the, covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which was the revelation of the works, of the law of God, the Ten Commandments. One of them requires Perfection. The new covenant points us to the perfect one. He also demonstrated by going to 12, the number of 12 significant. He called the 12 disciples to be apostles. And there's also, as Connie preached last week, there's 12 tribes of Israel. Do you think that's a coincidence? He's setting up a new form of salvation. He's setting up a new way of how his people look. It's no longer by the 12 tribes of Israel it's by the apostles and through the apostles' teaching. And then we, secondly, we see the call. He called them up the mountain. This call is just like our salvation. This is what John 6, says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 2 Timothy 1, 9 says, Who saves us and calls us to a holy calling? Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. You see, being a follower of Jesus is a lifelong calling. It's not one, because he drew us in. We look at the the 12 apostles, the disciples at the time. Even though he knew Judas was going to betray him, he called him in. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. This is an important time in Jesus' ministry because half of his work on earth is over. Half of his three years' worth of ministry is over at this point. So Jesus is calling them to something more. So my question today, are are we desiring to do something more? You see, earlier in the book, Simon and Andrew... Jesus called them follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark 1:17. The disciple Matthew, he said, follow me in Mark 2. The call was already there to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, the call was already there. But Jesus is calling them to something more here. Listen to this. Jesus called to him those he wanted. The Greek places more emphasis on this. The sense that he summoned those who he willed. Jesus determines the call. Jesus determines the call. Disciples do not decide to follow Jesus or do him a favor in doing. Rather, his call supersedes, goes above and beyond their will, summoning, even summoning those who would eventually betray him. So example of this. Example of this, I'm going to the beach, all right? Or we're going to play basketball, which I need to do more of because that was a workout a couple weeks ago. Hey, Paula, you want to go to the beach with me or you want to go play basketball with me? It's a call. It's a general call. It's up to him to do it. But I'll say this name because I know what he would do. Connie, I need you to be at the beach right now. Got it. So Paula has the option to do it. Connie respects my authority. He's going to do it. It's my will that he sees and not Paula's. That is is an example of this. It's not the disciples' will that we see here that's important. It's Christ's will. And then finally, we see the first purpose of God calling them up to the mountain. out of all the miracles that they'd done, out of all the preaching that Peter did at Pentecost that we studied in the book of Acts, he wanted to be with them. Jesus wanted to be with the disciples. He wanted to be with the disciples at that moment alone. The greatest joy, listen to this. The greatest joy for our lives is that our God and Creator, the Creator of the world, wants to be with us. He still needs that person to intercede for us, but He wants to be with us. There's a a famous quote, and it says, What's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He takes glory with us abiding in him, with us being in him, with us being a part of his family. And then we see another call to intimacy. We see a call to each other. As he called those 12 up the mountain, there was a purpose in doing that. He's establishing community. He's establishing Ohana. He wants to create something greater than just one person. Jesus knew that the only person that could do ministry by himself was himself. Jesus is the only person that could do that. And he still relied on the triune Godhead that he was a part of. He relied on the Holy Spirit to give him power and God the Father to give him wisdom. So as he was setting this thing up, he had a plan. God doesn't do anything without a plan, a sovereign, gracious plan. He's setting this thing up. You see, one of, the, one of the cool things about being a part of Hilo High football, and I know I've been in and out a little bit, but we get to watch. I get to watch from a distance. I get to watch and compare to how my high school was, you now, almost 10 years ago, how my high school team functioned. And we did, in my high school, we did things that nobody else did either. My, my career, I went 35 and 5 in high school, which was unheard of for our school. So, but to watch this team grow and develop, the coaches have a great way of stripping individualism and putting team-orientedness there. What does that mean? What does that mean in this passage of Scripture is that sometimes you don't, like, you don't get to do what you like to do. There is boys on that football team that could easily play both ways and excel both ways. They can do that. I played both ways in high school. But because how the coaches set it up, they deem that it's more important to separate them and focus on their individual tasks so the team, or, uh, team goals get accomplished. You see what I'm getting at? You see, so like, by not playing both ways, you can focus on what you need to get accomplished. Even though you, everybody like to be running back, quarterback, and wide receiver. We know. But defense is important too. Like, so people have to submit to that in order for the team goals to get accomplished. That's why later in the season, in the playoffs, they're still fresh. It's because they're only playing one way throughout the whole season, unless they really need them. And so when we focus on that, when the team is unified, when we focus on our responsibilities and and have a mission in mind, missions are accomplished. Things get done that's not ever been done before. That's how Jesus turned these 12 ordinary men into people that changed the world. So my question, us here today, are we unified? Are we unified together for our mission? And as we look at our missions, loving people to the beauty of Christ, yes, but our specific missions, do we really care about the 1% of Hilo from the Building of the Future campaign? Do we really care about establishing God's kingdom in Hilo. And it's not about Ohana Church. Everybody will say that. But how is God being pressed out through us in the city of Hilo? Just as Jacob said earlier, talking about missions, our missional domain is wherever we are. But listen to this. Talking, going back to the team aspect. This convicted me this week. Because team, the team has to set up their own goals We have to set up goals, and we have to submit to wherever we are placed in those goals. So sometimes you got to do things that you don't like to do. But listen to what 1 Thessalonians says, talking about a team. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews 10 says this, let us consider it. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. When we come here, when we come to this building, when we meet as Ohana, as Ohana groups, we go to the beach together, are we considering how to stir one another up to love? Are we thinking in our minds, how can I bless this person? How can I make this person's day? Most of us, that's a no. Most of us, our answers would be the same as the world. No, I'm looking out for me. This is my decision and my responsibility. So the main goal in my life is to make me happy. And even as a staff, are we doing this? Are we promoting each other for love and good works? When we go to work, are we the people that cause the division? Are we the people that cause the disharmony among our co-workers? Or are we the people that promote peace, that promote love? And that's not the end goal. The end goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as a testimony to our lives, we cannot be the ones that create division unless it's on biblical bounds. Me and Connie had the discussion this week. The only reason, the only reason it would be hard, but the only reason we should get kicked out of a church for preaching is because we're preaching the true word of Christ. If something goes against the word of God, it's going to be dealt with harshly here. But do we promote each other to love and good works? So here's a reality truth for us. Discipleship is a relationship before it is a task. A who before a what. That one got me this week, guys, to be, to be completely honest. Discipleship is a relationship. So when you, when you are discipling or are you the discipler, is it about the relationship? Because sometimes... We use the task of discipleship to make our lives easier. Let's be, and you're always being discipled. It's not like, no, I'm not being Christian discipled. Then you're being a learner of the word, the world. You are taking in the rubbish of the world and you're being molded into what the world looks like. discipleship should always be about advancing the kingdom of God and not our own kingdoms, not being able to say this is who we are or this is, Scripture talks about it as, well, I'm a disciple of Peter and I'm a disciple of Paul. It should never be about that. It's all about the kingdom. I go to this church. I go to that church. This one's more important than that one. So once we understand the call of disciple. We must understand the call of an apostle. And this is where Jesus calls them apostles in verse 14, which leads us to the second point, a call to go. Jesus is now ushering in the new covenant to us. But as we we look at this position, the role of an apostle, we got to make some clear distinctions before I go too deep, all right? The office of apostle is not the same as the role or the gift of an apostle. I believe that the office has been closed. So when we flip on TV and you see those preachers that have the name Apostle Marcus McBee or whatever at the bottom of it, insert name here, just turn it. Turn it off. Because that role has officially closed. And I'll tell you why. Because Peter... And after, after Judas Iscariot killed himself, after the crucifixion of Jesus, Judas committed suicide. They were looking for another apostle. So Peter proposed qualifications. There's qualifications for the role of apostle, the office of apostle. So listen to this and tell me how many people in this room have these qualifications. They had to be with Jesus all three years of his ministry. Eyewitness of Jesus' baptism, death, and resurrection. Heard and seen his life-changing teachings and watched him perform miracles. All right. So now, if you're 2,000 plus years old, it's time to go see Jesus already. Because that's the only way you can be an apostle nowadays. But that's not saying the gift of apostle is not here. The gift of apostle is 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 beautifully here. We see it all around the world. We actually, I believe wholeheartedly that one of the guys that's preaching in in February, James Saroma, he has the gift of apostleship. He starts churches and then leaves them and then goes off and starts other things. It's, it's, It's crazy how he does that. But listen to this. This is the definition of apostleship. It's a matter of being and being sent of one who is in relationship to Jesus and of what one does as a result of that relationship with Jesus. Simply put, apostleship is about who you are in Christ and our natural response to the response to in, intimacy with God. All right, so let's look at the timeline, guys. 18 months, these 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 guys have been following Jesus, yeah? So half of Jesus' ministry, they've been just followers, listening to him teach, listening to him, and then Jesus calls them to himself. So as we sit around in this room, not saying that your disciple or either myself or Kahuzik or whoever it is is as good as Jesus, but if we've been been a disciple for 30 years, 3 plus years which is double the time Jesus had with the disciples we should be going out some we should be making more disciples but we like to make excuses we we like to make excuses of why we can't go out and be who God's called us to be we're busy we don't know scripture well enough we're not fluent speakers we're not called to make disciples Those are all great. No, they're not. They're, they're all excuses. But let's look at the apostles for a moment. It's really hard to read. That one's better. Simon, guess what? He was a fisherman. Guess what his characteristic was? He was impulsive and bold. Anybody's, anybody in here impulsive and bold? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> James the son of Zebedee—he was a fisherman. He was loyal and judgmental. Anybody loyal and judgmental in here? John, the, James's brother, was a fisherman, and he was a, he was judgmental. So guess what? All you family members of the people that just raised their hand—it runs in the family sometimes. So watch out. <laughs> Andrew was a fisherman. He was a gossiper, and info traveled fast with him. If you didn't want to, if you didn't want a party to get out, you don't tell Andrew. Nobody's like that around here, yeah. Bartholomew, I mean Philip, he was a f- uh, fisherman, but he was a questioner. He questioned everything. Bartholomew was, uh, well, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was despised and outcast. He was a tax collector. Then you got Bartholomew, Thomas, James the less, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. We didn't know what their jobs were. It wasn't important that scripture reveal their jobs, but they fulfilled what was required in scripture. But we look at some of their characteristics. Judas was greedy. He stole money from the money pot. So if we look at that, more than likely he had some type of money experience in the past. Simon He was loyal, but he was zealous. Thomas, he he had courage, but he was also doubtful. So I know none of these characteristics resemble anybody in this room. And then the jobs, they were mostly fishermen. And then we had Matthew, which was an educated man. So guess what? I mean, yeah, we live in Hilo, so this is kind of a hard analogy, but guess what fisherman is in today's world? the laborers, the construction crews, that type of, the blue-collar work. And I know none of y'all in here work construction. We have been blessed with some construction workers in here. Truck drivers. The places where careers are hard to be a Christian. That's what what kind of guys these are. You see, so we, we can't make excuses about characteristics or jobs or education levels because God transformed the world with these group of people. God changed the whole landscape of, of Christianity because of these 12. So let's stop making excuses. It's our command to go. As Jacob shared earlier, the great commission to go as you go, everywhere is our missional domo- domain. So why aren't we going? Why are we going? It's time to put away the excuses. Quit being disobedient. So here's a reality truth for us, as Zeke always says. You are either a missionary or a mission field. So as a Christian, which one should you be? A missionary. You should be proclaiming the good news of Christ as you go. But most of us are mission fields. Most of us, most of the time, are mission fields, myself included. You're either a disciple of God or you're being discipled of the world. What do you take in the most is usually what your your disciple is. If it's rubbish television... radio, junk on the radio, that's who's discipling you. That's where you're becoming more and more like. So finally, as we look at the last point of today, you see the call of them to be disciples in the early chapters of Mark. Then you see a call to be apostles. And then later on, as most of you know, these men died for the sake of the gospel. So my third and final point is the call is radical. Look at verses 20 through 21 with me. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. I'd be throwing people out of the house at that point. They couldn't even eat. And then His family heard it. They went out and seized him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Listen to this. Because this is going to, I've been here for five years. This is going to hurt a little bit. Jesus allows neither his family nor his mother and brothers to take priority over the new society he has formed in the 12th.